Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Uh, as we always do on a Tuesday, Jonathan DeBurka Butler comes in to talk, tell us about some other stories from other parts of the world. Afternoon, Jonathan. Sean, how are you doing? Uh, now, Nigeria, uh, we're going to go to first. Now, the, I suppose the. This exemplifies this lot to a degree. Yeah. People mightn't even be aware of the original building collapse in Nigeria. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. actually the, exactly the reason why I brought it up. This happens in Europe or Germany or Dublin or London. Yeah. We're going to hear about it for weeks. But this was a building collapse in Nigeria, which happened about 10 days ago, and they're still recovering bodies from it. They've recovered, uh, recovered two more bodies from the, the site of this collapsed high-rise building in the neighbourhood called Ikayo. Uh, and at this moment in time, the number of people who have died as a result of this particular accident is up to 45. Crikey. Now, what was really interesting about researching this story was, and, and I'm going to be 100% honest here, my assumptions on this were poor area of uh, you know Lagos and of course this is going to happen but it's not this happened in the richest neighbourhood in uh, Lagos it's got great shops great streets and these were luxury apartments that were being constructed at the time but there was lots and lots of problems around it so one of the things that stood out to me when I I looked into it further was that back in February of 2020 the engineering firm that was working with the company who was building it they withdrew. They wrote a letter and they basically say, said, we can't sign off on this. Basically, oh, we can only crikey. say that the first yeah. four floors of this building are actually safe and you're bringing it up to 21. Now, when the building collapsed, obviously everybody was scrambling around to cover mm. up their part in the building of, of the construction of the building. And straight away, the local authorities came out and they said that the owner had built way above the spec. So there was only supposed to be 15 stories on it and he went up to 21. So he's been arrested straight away. There's a six-man panel has been established uh, to investigate what happened. But there are a lot of people running for cover here. And because it happened in a wealthy part of town, uh, albeit there was nobody living it at the time, right, thankfully, okay. um, you know, you would have to think that there is going to be quite an investigation into hmm. this. Do they think they're going to find more bodies there? I don't know. It's 10 days on. There was a rumour going around a couple of days ago that the demolition people were going to come in and clear the site. And obviously people started freaking out because, mm. you know, they wanted to recover the bodies first. Um, 15 people were, were rescued, actually, which is quite amazing. Now, yeah. obviously, at this point, it's unlikely that they'll find any more. But unfortunately, this is something that happens quite a bit in this part of the world. 115 buildings, mostly residential, collapsed in Lagos between 2005 and 2016. So it's Good quite God. a scandal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, quite and, a scandal. And these poor people were just happened to be walking past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually put a tweet out, Jay DeBurka Butler on Twitter, and you can see a picture of the collapsed building, and uh, it, it's it's pretty dramatic, to be honest with you. Uh, yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> And they only arrest the guy now, even though he fl- he just ignored the yeah, regulations. Yeah, the, 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 the red flag was the engineering company who, thankfully for them, they got out. And I actually mm. read the letter and they said, lads, this just isn't safe. You know, we don't care about the money. Look forward to working you get, with you again in the future. But we're not we're not going right. near this anymore. And that was February 2020. My word. 
Right. Uh, the uh, Uganda we're going to go to next. Mm. And uh, this is a report into the eviction of indigenous uh, uh, people I- who live in forests. Yeah, this is in Mount Elgon. And this jumped out at me for a couple of reasons. Um, first of all, it's about a group of people, indigenous people from Uganda called the Bennett people. There's about 18,000 of them all together, own distinct language. Some of their representatives are very fluent in English and that kind of thing. Um, uh, and they are really hunter-gatherers. Um, it's it's very poor in general. Mm. And they've been moved from their land within this forest uh, on at least three occasions. So the National Forest Authority moved in in 1983 and then the Uganda Wildlife Authority in 93 and back in 2008, 200 more families were moved off their land. And they were told by the government, get out of here and go and live here. We'll give you this land, OK? Mm. But then they were moved on, that was in 1993, but then they were moved on from that plot of land in 2008 and for obvious reasons, they're getting a bit annoyed at all of this. They're not yes. being very well looked after. They were happy enough in the forest, okay, before it was made a national park. Um, and and they, they were living their lives there as they had done for centuries. Um, and now they're being moved around the place. So Amnesty International have written this report basically calling on the Ugandan government and other governments to put pressure on the Ugandan government to to take measures to really, first of all, to look after them properly and to provide them with the right facilities and then to reinstate them, bring them back into their... uh, (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Sorry. I have a cough today as well. It's just going around. Uh, we're, we're all fine at the moment. Nobody make any sudden moves. Uh, into their lands and uh, get, get their um, get their land back. And mm. uh, and that's what they're looking at there. Right, OK. Uh, and uh, of course, this is a story that just repeats all over the place, really. You hear this in, mm. uh, you hear this in uh, so many parts of yeah, the world. Absolutely. And, 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 and in fact, the reason, it, one of the reasons it jumped out at me was because in Kenya, uh, Mount Elgon goes into Kenya as well. Mm. And there was a group there called the Ogiek who have actually taken a case against their government, a constitutional case against their government. And they're basing that case on a ruling that was given in Tanzania by another group that was kicked out of a forest. Okay, And the Tanzanian Constitutional Court found in favour of this indigenous group and Ah. uh, are looking for the government to bring them back into the forest. So I think the timing of this is interesting because we actually covered that story about the the Kenyan group back in June and I think probably the timing of this report by Amnesty kind of syncs up very well uh, with with what's going on in other Uh, parts of of the neighbourhood shall we say. uh, Right, Benin we're going to go to uh, next and uh, there are new abortion laws there. There are indeed uh, amendments to laws that were already in place. Um, Under Benin's uh, previous abortion law which was passed in 2003 a woman could only terminate a pregnancy if her life was at risk or if it was she was pregnant because of incest or rape or the the fetus had particularly serious medical condition but now they've broadened it out and it's very interesting the wording actually if i can if i can read it out Indeed, and allow yeah. me so mm. it makes it legal uh, an abortion legal if it would aggravate or cause a situation of material, educational, professional or moral distress incompatible with the interest of the woman and or the un- unborn child. So I think that's a very broad interpretation of what constitutes a legal abortion now in Benin. Yes, yeah. And the reason they brought this in is because they don't have Liverpool. All right, effectively, they don't have the equivalent of Liverpool where you can go over and, and have an abortion legally if it's outside right, of the, yeah. that previous remit. Does that make sense, yeah, right? Yeah. And so there were still people having illegal abortions within Benin 
even though abortion was legal in certain circumstances. So about 200 women were dying every year as a result of backstreet abortions. So this is why they had to amend it. And uh, it's quite something for that part of the world. It's not, you know, it's 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 relatively unique. There's not many countries that have mm. legislation that is as liberal, shall we say. Uh, as this. So would this be, uh, this be controversial in Benin, uh, notwithstanding the fact that it's probably going to save many women's lives? I, I would say it's controversial in some cohorts, absolutely. Yeah. The, the only thing about it is that the, the government system there is kind of strange uh, at the moment. They're in what's... Uh, the new president there is Patrice Talon mm. and, and he went in uh, on, on the premise of basically trying to reform politics there and get rid of corruption, right? He tried to reduce two terms to one term, but of course he ended up running for a second term himself. <laughs> uh, so you've got that kind of thing. The yeah. parliament, which is 83 members, all support him, even though there's two separate parties. So anything that he wants really gets pushed through. So I yeah. would imagine that he supported that. There was a bit of pushback from the usual suspects. Um, but I think overall, yeah. it's been it's been welcomed. Uh, and what's the situation with contraception in that country? Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Uh, contraception is not widely used there, actually. And um, I think it's the World Health Organization basically say that only 12% of people in Benin use conventional methods of contraception. And, okay. and it's still a bit of a thing where if a woman goes to get contraception, it's kind of... She's seen of, be, of being a woman of loose morals, that right. kind of thing. Okay, I, I don't even want to ask what unconventional contraception might have Oh, God, I, I don't uh, even yes. want to go there yeah. either. <laughs> right, uh, King of Thailand uh, goes to Germany. Uh, I, I just love that as a headline. Yes, <laughs> uh, he, he, he's off to Germany, a place he knows very well, and he has arrived in uh, the Hilton Munich Hotel, uh, where he's staying for 11 days with 200 people, sorry, 250 people and 30 poodles. And this is the kind of thing wow. that the uh, people who are not big fans of his in Thailand are protesting against and have been protesting against for the last year and a half, I would say. There have been a couple of waves of protests that sort of go with COVID restrictions and the like mm. against this king. He's only been around since 2016. The previous king was relatively popular. Uh, and and they he bit of a playboy. They don't like his character. They don't like the way that he goes abroad and brings you know thirty dogs with him on 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 a on a <laughs> private jet. He has extraordinary wealth, extraordinary control. He controls the army, all sorts of things. And there have been protests for the last years, for the last year against him because of all of these things. And that's quite something in Thailand. You generally and culturally speaking protesting against the king was always a no-no, mainly mm. because of the laissez-majeste rules that we've spoken about yeah. a number of times before. Um, and they're looking to get rid of that. And a number of protesters have been thrown in jail as a result of their uh, desire and as a result of their demands uh, for that change uh, in society. Yeah. Whether it's uh, going to come or not, I don't think. Well, no. he seems pretty tone deaf if he's travelling to Germany with that kind of a retinue. He is. And the thing about it is that it, it came a couple of days after the Constitutional Court ruled that the protesters' calls for uh, uh, reform of the monarchy amounted to an attempt to overthrow it. So the protesters are basically saying, you know, next step is that we'll be thrown in prison for treason. Mm. And that's going to carry a lot of yeah. time in prison. Uh, so one, one imagines there might be a few protests in Germany as well. There has been. Very, yeah, there uh, has been. And it's, and it's been, he, when he was there last time, it was slightly embarrassing for the Germans. They didn't like the fact that the king was conducting, you know, government policy, affected Thai government policy mm. from his hotel room in Germany. Um, and they let him know as well. I think the foreign minister at the time was a guy called Heiko Maas, who'd be fairly well known. 
and uh, he he issued a statement saying we're we're not particularly happy with this. Go and do your business elsewhere. Right, Turkey. We're going to go to next. Where this is a strange one. The mm. wife of a Kurdish politician jailed over a typo. Yeah, a, a very interesting story. This is a, a teacher, former teacher, uh, Bashak uh, Demirtas is her name. Um, she's been sentenced to two and a half years in prison. Now, the reason, at least the authorities say that she's been uh, sentenced to those to that time, is because she apparently. They say, anyway, forged a doctor's note. It wasn't really a forgery. It's just that the date was written down wrong. Mm. So she was working at a t- as a teacher. I think this was back in 2015. She had just had a miscarriage. Uh, her family was going through quite a bit of turmoil, which I'll come back to in a minute. She had just had a miscarriage and there was a couple of treatments that she went through and she needed to get a doctor's note for five days of medical leave so she could get the pay. The doctor signed off on it as being the 11th of December when in fact she had been in on the 14th of December or vice versa, I can't remember. Yeah, okay. yeah. So the authorities picked up on that and they said, oh, you can't do that, so we're going to charge you and now they've thrown her in prison. Nothing to do with the fact that her yeah. husband <laughs> is a leader, a former leader of a pro-Kurdish People's Democratic Party and is currently in jail. Now, he was thrown in jail back in 2015, around about the time that this, you know, this, this miscarriage happened. And he was thrown in jail effectively because he did very well against Recife Tayyip Erdogan when he stood for president, when he and his party stood in elections uh, to, to, to go up against him. So since he's been in prison, she's been advocating on his behalf and going around Europe and getting awards and all sorts of different things. Right, okay. And they're not happy about that. Yeah. So there's nothing to do at all with this. Not at all. I'm sure any other woman uh, in, in receipt of a, a, a faulty doctor source would get thrown in prison for two years. Oh, I, yeah. yes, absolutely. There's no uh, doubt about uh, it. What happened to the doctor? The doctor got thrown in prison as well. I think he got two and a half years as well along, along with her. Wow, that's extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, that's 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 what's going on in Turkey at the moment. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, to heavy say heavy-handed. That's uh, um, uh, to, uh, to put it mildly. Uh, right, uh, and uh, just a, a quick one here: a Paraguay, a father and daughter murdered over violins. Yeah, horrible story. This is the, the story of a 62-year-old Bernard von Bredo uh, and his 14-year-old daughter Lorena. They were living in Paraguay, outside the capital of uh, Asuncion, and they were found murdered. And it's believed that this was to do with um, the violins that were made by Antonio Stradivari you know the Stradivarius violins or whatever they're world famous he had four of them apparently and he was known as for for, uh, being an expert uh, craft maker and he was able to repair these violins and a couple of months ago he went back to Germany he had a couple of German mates who were living in Paraguay and he left one of the violins with one of the German friends went off to Germany when he came back and asked for the violin back he was told that it had been destroyed in a fire. A couple of weeks later, he and his daughter are found murdered. Now, these three German friends that he had uh, have been arrested and one of them was found in possession of the four violins and it's believed that they had stolen the violins while this guy was back in Germany uh, and they went back to get the certification of authentication. Yeah, Would yeah, that be right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, those things would be priceless yeah, though. They uh, exactly. Be, yeah. And so if you have the two, you can sell the violin. And obviously he wasn't going to give them up and he was murdered as a result. My Very word. sad story. What should we look out for in the coming week? Yeah, a couple of things to look out for. Um, today in Kampala, back to Uganda, uh, President Yoweri Museveni is hosting a meeting of the heads of states of East Africa to discuss 
the war in Ethiopia. So again, something mm. worth watching. Um, the Canadian Prime Minister Trudeau and Mexico's Prime Minister are meeting with Joe Biden in the White House to talk about things in North America. It'll be a very uh, one-sided meeting there, I would imagine. <laughs> and then uh, there's presidential elections in Chile. And thank God my voice held up. Uh, well, well done, uh, Jonathan. Thanks a million as ever. Thanks, Jonathan sure. de Burke Butler there. You're listening to the Moncrief Show on Newstalk. We're going to take a break. Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again.